Yo, this place is big. We should split up finding Will. Said no one who survived a horror movie ever. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is episode number 35, and because we're still in that January lull waiting for all the good horror films to come out, we're going to go back and pick up one of the great horror films that came out last year. It's called Under the Shadow, and it is a horror film set in Iran. Uh, So we're very excited about that. And as we were watching the film, we couldn't help but note that it would pair very nicely with another horror film that came out just a couple of years earlier than that called The Babadook. So welcome to the episode. I'm J.R. Foresteros. I'm Amanda Foresteros. I'm Moza Haiti. And I'm Stacy Silveri. Uh, before we get into the reviews, we wanted to touch briefly on a couple of films that have been released that we're probably not going to have time to get to a full episode on, at least any time in the near future. Uh, first is a film that our special guest in our last episode, Kate, mentioned as her most anticipated film of this year, uh, and that is The Bye Bye Man. Stacy, can you give us like a quick summary of the film? Because you're the only one of us that has gotten a chance to see it so far. So just kind of tell us what it's about briefly, as spoiler-free as possible, and um, then tell us what you Unfortunately, I can't say it, and I can't speak it. <laughs> oh, is that oh, that's, thing? that's part of the <laughs> um, part of the deal, yeah. huh? Yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's a big thing in the movie. Um, I mean, I feel like it's your basic kind of horror movie. Uh, there's like the entity or whatever that does the haunting, and the more you like feed into the fear of it, like watching you, it just gets gets more behind you and scares you even more. Um, I, however, wasn't that impressed. I don't know if it's that we have just been watching so many horror movies through the podcast or whatnot. Um, but I, it was subpar for me. I was expecting a little more, especially from the preview. Um, I wouldn't say it was terrible, but I would wait to watch it for sure. There's, there's a few scary scenes, but it was mostly the jump scares and it wasn't like truly, truly (laughs) like the, I, I feel like it could have been better. The idea of it, like the don't think it, don't say it could have been good, but it, didn't deliver in my opinion now is it true that the bye bye man is supposed to be a like a horror film about the slender man was that was that brought Uh, to the front at all in the film i don't think so okay um i thought the slender man was going to have like its own movie i hadn't heard anything tying the the bye bye man and the slender man together um i honestly don't know much about the slender man thing so possibly i just am not informed enough well, if our listeners uh, if our listeners know, then please let us know don'tsplitup.com or facebook.com slash don'tsplitup. Uh, also, there is a, a documentary that just dropped on HBO about the Slender Man That's phenomenon. what I was just going to mention. <laughs> yeah, and we are definitely going to have to cover that because this is, if you don't know anything about the Slender Man, go do some research on it. Uh, wait for our full, or you can wait for our full episode on it. But that is like the craziest thing that's like true, probably. Give me a 30 second horror. rundown. Basically, these two girls murdered someone and said that the oh. Slender Man told them to do it. Yeah. They're like teenagers. They're 13-year-olds, and they're being charged as adults. Real okay. life. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. They have that in the Bye Bye Man. Okay. so But there is no such thing as the Slender Man. But, like, now it's a whole web phenomenon. Well, and the made, Slender like, Man is, like, Bigfoot, kind of. Like, they say that there's sightings, and it's this, like, really creepy, tall, slender, thin dude that's hmm. wearing, like, a hat. And it's, like... I remember hearing about this now. I don't know if it was on the podcast or somewhere else, but no, it definitely... The, was... the, the thing is, though, like, we know who started it. Like, it was these two 13-year-old girls. Like, it's not, like... It, it's like Bigfoot in that it's kind of become an urban legend, but it's not like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster in that, like... We straight up know who made it up and it's not like, it's not real, but like now people, it's like that. It's like a mass hallucination kind of thing. Sort of like that movie with uh, Sinbad that no one <laughs> actually saw. Oh, I saw it. Exist. I saw it, JR. <sighs> I remember yeah. scenes from it. Uh, Shazam? Shazam. Yeah, that exist. I've seen that. Yeah. You, you haven't. You might have seen Kazam starring Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> So anyway, uh, okay, well, cool. So Amanda and I got to see the new M. Night Shyamalan film, Split, 
uh, about a guy with disassociative identity disorder, which is formerly called multiple personality disorder. He has 23 separate personalities and he kidnaps three teenage girls for some nefarious purposes. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I was super excited because um, James McAvoy, I just really, really enjoy him as an actor. And so I thought, wow, well, this will be really interesting if he gets to play and act all of these different, you know, 23 ways or whatever. So, um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. I mean, I I don't think it was like an A plus, but it was definitely entertaining. Well worth the money. Um, if you wanted to wait until it came out on DVD, you could. But I think it would be, I think it holds up being in in the theater. Yeah, let, there's. Let, let me guess. There's a twist. <laughs> well, so I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, there's no. Yeah, you definitely don't need to see this on the big screen. Like, there's not any kind of big set pieces or anything like that. But unless you are like a super spoiler avoider, I would go see it as soon as possible because the twist at the end of the film is genuinely shocking. And I screamed like a child in the theater when it happened. Mm -hmm. Is this the first time for you, JR? To be that shocked? Screaming in the theater? Oh, well... I bet he probably screamed in the theater. Well, when he saw the ring, I bet he screamed. And if he didn't scream, he was probably weeping. Probably because I was paralyzed with fear. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I highly recommend seeing Split. Uh, We don't want to say too much more about it because it really is worth not having it spoiled. Um, So uh, I enjoyed it probably more than The Visit, though I enjoyed The Visit. Yeah, I I mean, I I would say they're comparable. Yeah. It wasn't like M. Night Shyamalan the suck like yeah. it was it was no lady in the water it was yeah. definitely oh, like he's yeah, was, back it was small scale right i mean you mostly had four or five actors the whole film and that was it you know mm-hmm. and and honestly really it was one of the girls it becomes pretty clear from even the opening scene she's the main girl and it's it's actually the actress who is in the witch mm-hmm. uh, the oldest sister mm-hmm. oh, cool. and uh that and then be one good thing about the film well, and honestly, what Amanda said is totally right on. James McAvoy crushed it. That's um, honest. I mean, that's apparent from the previews. I haven't seen it yet, and I'll give him credit there. By by the end of the film, you could tell which personality was at the fore just by how he his was holding stance. his body. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it was really incredible acting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's death. I would be surprised. It's a B. Like, it's a solid B. It's mm-hmm. not the greatest movie you'll see this year by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a great theater go well it was a great film experience it was not a great theater going experience oh yeah so miserable so many uh, yeah. people with their stupid phones and talking and i was just like sweet jesus what world i would world like to point we... that out with the bye bye man that was probably the worst movie going experience i've ever had in my entire life so that may be a factor playing into my dislike for the movie yeah, well, it's good to know that people in Ohio suck as bad as people in Texas because it's <laughs> obnoxious. They suck so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I actually yelled at one guy to shut his phone off because he was like a row in front of me and a couple seats over, and he put, kept holding his phone out, and it would like this little bright light would, you know, catch the corner of my eye, and then he'd just type on his phone for a while. I was finally in Dover, and I was like, hey, shut your phone off. <laughs> the people in front of me, it was – a mom, and I'm assuming her friend, they were on their phones nonstop, and then they literally had four, like, three-year-olds, three to, like, six, like, toddlers in a scary movie. The kids were freaking out, and the mom was like, it's fine. Like, you'll be fine. And at the end of the movie, the mom's like, I'm going to sick the bye-bye man on you. And I'm like, what kind of parents are these? Yeah, that's that horrifying. Horrific. Probably a mom like the one in the Babadook, am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good transition. <laughs> now that you mention it. Yeah, let's start let's let's dive into our review of the Babadook. If you're a really clever one and you know what it is to see, then you can make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me. <laughs> his name is Mr. Babadook. And this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Ba 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 duk duk duk. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Ba 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 duk duk duk. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? 
so because this film has been out for a long time, it, it both of these movies today actually are on Netflix. So if you haven't seen them, we are going to spoil them to death. Uh, so so please pause right now and go watch them. Uh, well, I guess I, I should ask. I guess right out of the gate, do you recommend the Babadook? Yeah, Absolutely. I would. <laughs> See, I was a I was a hard yes, and then I rewatched it. And now it might be like a soft yes. Oh, um, man. It took me a minute to catch on to what I feel like was being said in that movie. And once I realized the metaphor I saw, uh, the movie became a lot better for me. This movie has given me nightmares consistently since I watch it, watched it the first time and avoided having to watch it the second time. And it was just as real and just as horrific as the first time. Wow, I will say one, so I may be wrong and none of you may agree with me on this, but once I kind of put this metaphor puzzle together, uh, it lost all the horror for me. Like, I, it was no longer scary. I was just like, felt bad for them. Nope. Still <laughs> scary. Most definitely. I will have nightmares tonight that that freaking Babadook is going to come at me over my bed with its creepy fingers <laughs> and its scary help. top hat. It doesn't help that our bedroom door creaks when you open it. True story. Oh, ooh. Yeah. So much creaking. Someone should visit WD-40 on that. Yeah. I went to bed directly after that film. I can't tell you how proud I am of myself. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think... I. So I watched it um, I'm, relatively shortly after it came out. I don't know, maybe like a month, two months. Um, and I wasn't... I don't think I'm, I've ever actually been like scared of this movie like Amanda. Like, for whatever reason, it just doesn't scare me. Um, I think maybe because like... Mo, like I kind of, I picked up on the metaphor pretty quickly, I feel like. So that made it less scary. Um, but it, I, I think it's a good movie. It's just, I don't think it was intentionally made to be like a horror movie. So it's not outright scary. It's scary in a different way. Oh, you guys are hurting my soul because it was so horrifying. Like it was most definitely a horror movie. <laughs> and it was specifically Ugh. images for you. Really. Oh, most so, definitely. So and, I, and I get the metaphor. Like I understand. And mental health and mental illness is also really, really scary. I didn't think this was about mental health or mental illness. This what? to me was about the grieving process. Okay. Well, that too. Mm. That's also scary and sad. Okay. But uh, So before we dive in, so right you three all recommended Stacy with a soft yes. Yes. I would also strongly recommend this. I, this is one of my favorite. I think it made my top 10 in 2014. Um, it's one of my favorite horror films. It's one that I often recommend. So strong. Yes. So there you go. Like three and a half recommendations, three and three quarters. However you want to count Stacy's soft. Yes. Uh, this is, this film was written and directed by Jennifer Kent. It is, she's been an actress for a long time, but this is her first feature length film. And she actually originally made a short called Monster um, that was roughly about this creature. She called it the Baby Babadook. And it sort of just stayed with her. And she didn't feel like she said it, everything she wanted to say in that short film. So she, we finally got this feature-length film. Uh, it's about a mother, Amelia, whose uh, husband died in a car accident on their way to the hospital to give birth to Sam. Uh, that was six and a half years ago by the time the film opens. Sam is approaching his seventh birthday. And basically he is just a very, well, I don't know. Like, I guess that's my question. Like, did you feel like he was on the autism spectrum or that he was just acting out? Like the film never, never says explicitly, how did you read Sam's behavior? I felt like this movie started in one place and ended somewhere else, but you were viewing it from one angle at the beginning and then you got to see it from the other side at the end. So to me, in the beginning, they paint the boy as being maybe on the autism spectrum. The fact that he's just acting out without the ability to control himself. No one knows what to do. And then the further you get into the movie, you realize the boy is trying to save his mother. And then by the end of the movie, you realize the boy was the rational one and the mom's the crazy one. <laughs> and somewhere in between there, you realize that the mom has not been able to cope with the loss of her husband. And... Well, because she says so, even if you want to say she's possessed at that point in time. But she has not been able to cope with the fact that her husband passed, and she wishes that her child would have been the one not to make it and that her husband was still there. And 
I think if you look at it from the grieving side, it's like everyone's trying to help her, but she shut herself in her house. All of her blinds are closed. There's no light in the house. She doesn't know how to handle her child. Um, the child comes off as like overly obnoxious and just annoying and unable to be dealt with. But really, that's a person who's so deeply depressed that they can't be helped. That's the way they view outside help. And then her friends are fed up with her to the point where they don't even want her or her child, you know, to come around. Um, you know, she lashes out at people. But so to me, like the whole thing was, you know, the Babadook represented grief and she could not push him out. And the more she let him in, the more infected she became, the more self like uh, uh, the more depressed she became the more she dwelt on it, like the harder it was to remove. But then when she finally controlled herself, when she finally realized what she was doing, she was hurting herself. She was hurting her son. Um, she was scaring her son. You know, people had rejected her. She contained that grief. And then I feel like that was the whole purpose of the ending. You know, she's contained the Babadook. She contained grief. Mm -hmm. And it was just basically to say that you can never really be done with that sadness it will be there for the rest of your life and it might rear its ugly head but you can manage it at that point in time you've learned to cope you've learned to live with it and move on and have a life and then you know all of her blinds are open all the you know lights in the house her son's acting normal you know it, it seems as if she's got a normal life again you know i think you sold me mel i uh didn't see it as grief initially but i think it fits really well in a lot of the points you make are pretty accurate. Um, but I, however, didn't see him on like the autism scale or spectrum, whatnot. I just thought initially it was, I mean, I saw, I saw her, I thought it was all her from the beginning. Like she obviously is barely struggling to keep things together. She wants to live this normal life, but she, she's just hanging on by a thread and the kids obviously picking up on that. And so he's not getting what he needs because she's not giving it to him and he's just reacting based off of her and she just loses it essentially because she can't keep her, her shit together for a lack of better word. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, I think regardless of whether he was on the spectrum or not, I think that there are some behaviors that he exhibited that definitely could you could say absolutely. I mean, even just his like no filterness. I mean, or you could just play it off as well. He's a, you know, six and a half year old boy that has some behavior issues or doesn't have a dad in his life or doesn't have, you know, his mom is has a severe mental illness or she's severely depressed because she can't handle her grief or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, but I just felt like this movie I think that I think the the grief metaphor definitely works. I think mental illness as a as a as a whole works as the metaphor as well and I just think that it shows like being a parent is one of the hardest jobs in the whole entire world and then having to do it all by yourself especially when it wasn't your choice to do it by yourself it shows like the the challenges and the loneliness and um yeah, just like the despair that is associated with being a single parent, you know? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I loved it. And it still scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> so. I think for me, it was his, uh, like, the way he was at school, like, making the weapons and bringing them, like, to school and not, not fitting in and being, you know, those are the kinds of behaviors that, to me, even if it was just like a very mild form of like learning disability or something like that, like he was obviously having some pretty, pretty severe social problems. Um, again, that could be environmental, like you pointed out, Mo. That could, this, this desire to protect his mother could be, be, could be coming from how he observes his mother functioning in the world. Yeah, he, oh, I, mean, I, say, I, I totally think it's environmental. Like look at how his mom acts and interacts with people and, he essentially, that's like his only way to learn. So he just, in a sense, mirrors what she does. Well, and he's so consumed with the fact that he's protecting his mother. It's like, I mean, he's a six-year-old child. He thinks he has to protect his mom from the monsters. So when he's at home and she lashes out, like you're saying, Stacey, and you know he's dealing with that home life, it just furthers his need to protect his mother. And, you know, he keeps going back to that, you know, we said we'd protect each other. I'll, I'll always love you, even if you don't love me, mommy. Like, just really being a good kid. But they paint him in such a bad picture in the beginning. But by the end of the film, 
you're like, no, this kid's rational. That mom's insane. <laughs> well, and I, I felt, man, I felt it like that. That I mean, how long is it before she even pulls that Babadook book off the shelf? And I just felt so trapped with her. I felt the claustrophobia of her life. I felt the isolation. Um, I felt like her helplessness of like, this is every day, all the time. There is no break. You don't get a rest. Like she can't even um, have some sexy time to herself. You yeah, know, that was without, awkward. Without the kid coming in, you know, and saying he had another nightmare. And I, I don't know. I felt like I felt that claustrophobia um, I, in, a, in a way that I found harrowing. Do you see... Do you see that as like the grieving process as well, Jr.? Did you did you focus on the mental illness? Well, because to me, uh, that's like the inescapability of the fact that she's depressed. Like it follows yeah, yeah. her everywhere. And, and it's and it's a single mom. Are you talking about the Babadook or that opening stuff? I, I was referring to like the book you were just talking about. Like as she's going through, like these are her ways out. Like it's almost like everything annoys her. Like nothing. Yeah, I read it much more. I read the film as a more of a metaphor for grief, also. Um, that more than mental illness um for sure though i think where the mental illness stuff comes in is that and i guess there's there's a fine line right between grieving and mental illness when it comes to the point that you're killing a, your dog and uh threatening to stab your son and or hallucinating murdering yeah. murdering your son hallucinating cockroaches i mean right so uh hallucin even hallucinating the possession of the babadook uh making the book tearing it up putting it all back together um because i i that was that was the implication i took from the film was that she is the one that made the book because she had mentioned at the party that she used to make children's books right mm -hmm. so that was mm -hmm. i glossed over that same very good call Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that was that was how I read that was that all of this is emerging from her own psyche. Yeah. Uh, so I mean that I, you can call it depression if you want, but clearly at that point there's some sort of dangerous mental illness going on. However you want to label it, right? Um, but I, I would certainly agree that the film doesn't give us any reason to think that that came from anywhere except her inability to. Uh, to grieve her husband's death well. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have any story of her as a kid where it was like, oh, she's always been a little off, you know? Like, oh, no, like, the only the only thing we have is that, that this horrible trauma happened to her, and now she's trapped in this life that mm -hmm. anyone would find difficult. Well, and that even seven years later, she finds it difficult to to speak about her husband, even in a positive or negative light or anything. Um, you know, telling the the sweet little old woman next door to shut up and quit bringing it up and all that kind of stuff. You know, and that was a scene that I found really interesting because the woman suffers from Parkinson's, and you know, the son is like, "That's why she shakes all the time," and her mom's, you know, Amelia is like, "Stop that! Don't talk about that! Why are you so awkward?" And the old lady's like, "It's." Like, it's fine. I, you know, I, I know what I have. I know what I am. I know what it is. And like, she owns her illness. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the mom could not own her grief in a way that would allow her to speak positively uh, of her husband. And I think that attributes to the way she treats him. Because obviously anytime, and it's not his fault, she looks at him or anything. She's reminded of her husband in the accident and the tragedy. Mm -hmm. But she it's just sad that she mm -hmm. treated him that way i think <laughs> yeah absolutely sad. for sure well and hopefully i mean as as you can see towards the end there's some sort of redemption to it at least like the fact that they're even celebrating his birthday on the day of his birth and and those kinds of things it's it just shows the healing process and that hopefully he won't be in therapy for the rest of his life because of how traumatizing his childhood was yeah, and it's interesting that, you know, the best solution she's able to come up with is to sedate him, right? Like, literally just to shut him off. Like, that's all she can figure out to do until she finally acknowledges the extreme damage that this grief is doing to her. Mm -hmm. And when she finally comes face to face with it, she is able to vomit it out and, you know, like you said, contain it 
mo right contain it where where it's always going to be there but at least it's manageable absolutely and she stops like putting the i thought that was a cool scene at the end when he when she's going to feed the pain you know and she or the babadook and she wants and the boy's like well when do i get to see it and she's like you know when you're older it's like she's mm -hmm. learned to like all right i need to allow my child to have a childhood like i can't put this adult stuff onto a, a six-year-old boy mm -hmm. and so i just i don't know i thought the whole the whole way the movie spun around it was really good mm -hmm. and i mean gosh that ending was so satisfying because it was real right like once you understood that this was a metaphor for for grief for mental illness for the complexities of a life that doesn't turn out the way you always thought it would it there isn't just like a magic spell that makes everything better because it doesn't get better like you just have to learn to live with it absolutely mm -hmm. I, that stays with i feel you. like that's what makes the movie so good like you always get like some type of resolution and you do in a sense but it's still there like that's the resolution it's still there it's never gonna go away you have to learn how to cope and deal with it and it's it's relatively unique in horror films because usually either the monster wins or the monster loses mm -hmm. and in this case it's like be because the monster is a metaphor right um it 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 doesn't it's not banished it's not exercised it's not defeated but it but it also doesn't it's not allowed to like rule and win either it's it's just sort of embraced and coped with what uh what was your favorite scare or favorite moment in the film mine was when she she was like i don't know if i would say hallucinating but she was like out of it and like the kid's screaming and then she like comes back into it and she's seeing the kid like crouched up on the couch screaming and she has like the big old knife in her hand and she's like oh my god like what am i doing mm -hmm. that's that's really struck with me because i felt like she really realized like she would she like she couldn't deny anymore that she was losing it and there's a problem and an issue mm -hmm. and and it was just it was just there like there's no denying it any longer i enjoyed the fact that they didn't really utilize jump scares like even when you knew the babadook was coming it was a very slow very intentional process he never popped out of thin air he always kind of built up exactly how he had come out in the book it, it was repetitious like there was never they never really relied on loud noises or anything like that even the knocking uh kind of slowly grew but i think my best for the movie wasn't scary at all it was that little boy going home alone on his mom's ass <laughs> that That's was true. phenomenal yeah he had a lot of really great booby traps i was like oh snap that was and awesome he escalated that way better than macaulay culkin did i mean we had stabbings <laughs> we had trippings like i'm surprised that mother was alive at the end mm -hmm. of it yeah for sure um i would say for me it you know any time that you actually got to see the Babadook, like even though the effects and stuff were, I, I don't want to say that they were bad. They were just kind of like raw and different and like chunky and scary. Kent said that she wanted them to feel really like DIY homemade. Like yeah. that was all very intentional. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that that was of course really well done because it still haunts me. You know, like I, I thought it was I thought it was great. And I thought that all of the little horror montages that they would do when she would watch TV at night, which kind of led into your favorite part, Stacy. Like, I thought those were all really interesting. Of course, mm -hmm. when she saw the Babadook, like in in the certain uh, scenes, that was, you know, pretty freaky. But even just the different footage that they used um, really kind of set the tone for for it i just thought it was well done so so i have a i have a favorite scare and then also like i think a scene that i found the most effective um my favorite scare was when they're driving home in the car i think from the party and she's like screaming at him why can't you be normal and then he i guess maybe seizes mm -hmm. but he looks at something in the back seat and starts screaming at it to get out of here and at first you think she, he's looking at the mom and then it's clear that he's not, but there's nothing there. 
and that's bef that's like as the metaphor is sort of becoming more apparent. So I, I don't know. I just found that very creepy. And again, it's because it's in broad daylight, so it totally breaks the rules of ghost stories, mm -hmm. right? Not supposed to be allowed to come out in the daylight. Certainly not in a moving car. Like not cool. Uh, um, and then I think my favorite scene was the one where she's with all of the moms at the birthday party, and they clearly don't know what to say to her. And so the one woman tries to say something about like, and a single moms and talks about them as disadvantaged women. And I was like, Oh, how can they just talk about her like that? And then one of the ladies is like, Oh, I don't even have time to go to the gym anymore. And then she totally goes off on them. But like, she didn't say anything. It wasn't like, I didn't feel like it was over the top mean, just really like sliced through like how completely thoughtless and uncaring they are. And it honestly also mm -hmm. kind of broke my heart. And that's as it's cutting back and forth to the kid in the treehouse with his uh, cousin and all of the super horrible things that she's saying to him. Yeah, and so that, you kind of that child was a mean little kid. Yeah, well, she deserved so you, to get pushed out of that treehouse. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, you totally understand <laughs> why he did that. that. And like, of course, yeah. it's just that helplessness that he feels that like no one will listen to him and no one will believe that she was saying like he was trapped. He couldn't go anywhere and he was minding his own business, you know. Um, mm hmm. So yeah, I thought I thought just that whole sequence was was really effective. Mm -hmm. So so what about worst? What was your worst mm -hmm. scene? God, when that kid would not stop screaming. <laughs> I hated that kid in the beginning. Yeah. Then I felt bad, but it doesn't change the way I felt about him in the beginning. I think for me, worst as far as like corniness was some of the sound effects, like the the weird old school dinosaur sound effect whenever the Babadook would, I mean, some of the, like the scratching and stuff was horrifying. It kind of reminded me of the poltergeist, like some of the poltergeist sound effects were like, oh, come on. Some of those sound effects, that was not a dinosaur. That was a dragon from World of Warcraft. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, they were video game sound effects. Well, whatever it was, it was like, okay, I don't think that this big scary monster thing would make those noises, but that's fine. I'm whatever. not saying I caught onto that too, JR, but I caught onto that too. Oh, I read it in IMDb <laughs> trivia page. Yeah, me oh. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we all probably can assume what my worst is going to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. the animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it was brutal. That's about all I'll say. It's sad. It was sad. I don't know that I had it worse than this film. I thought it I thought it worked really well all the way through. There wasn't really a moment that I found myself irritated because I wasn't like I felt like at every point in the film I was feeling the way the film wanted me to feel. And I was understanding the things the film wanted me to understand. Um yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't really, I could I could pick some nits, but I, I don't really have any gripes with this film. Overall, me neither. Like, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. I liked it even, I mean, I liked it when I first saw it. I liked it even more on the second viewing. Yep. And shout out to our friends, Philip and Amanda, that legit actually have a Babadook book. What? Like, and I got to look through it and it That's scared creepy. the daylights creepy, out of me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Amanda's it's got only, it's out. only one of like 500 copies or something like that. Like it, you can see oh, that wow. certain pages are painted and it does all the pop-up stuff. Uh, yeah. It's real scary and awesome. Hmm. <laughs> Mo, are you saying you want one for your birthday? I'm sorry. You're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Oh, uh, so uh, Kent owns the rights to this story and to this character, and she swore that it will never have a sequel. How do you feel about that? I don't I'm think okay it should. There's no yeah. need for a sequel. Yeah. It yeah. would ruin what the message was. Because yep. then it'd just be a cheesy, yeah. scary movie about the Babadook, and I don't really think that was the point of the movie. So good for her. Yep. Yeah, I feel like I this is one of the few, few movies that gets its message across, and there's it says everything it needs to say adding to it would lessen the the message concur nice all right well uh let's move on then to 2016's horror sensation under the shadow don't split up 
Uh, this film is set, I believe it's in like 1980 or 1983 maybe. It's set in during the Iran-Iraq War. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Iran-Iraq War, um, which I'm assuming is probably most of our listeners, uh, in 1979 is when the Iranian Revolution happened and the Ayatollah took over and installed a much more conservative and strict uh, uh, government. It was heavily, heavily, heavily religious uh, fundamentalist. And Iraq basically was afraid that that was going to influence their citizens. So they tried to uh, attack and uh, take over Iran. And that war lasted for eight years, lasted mm -hmm. until 1988. Uh, it was pretty devastating all the way around. And uh, the film is set as the front gets closer and closer to Tehran, the capital of Iran. And uh, it's when, when Tehran actually begins to experience bombing. Uh, the film was written and directed by uh, a filmmaker named Babak Anvari. It is his first feature length film. So that's something that Under the Shadow and The Babadook have in common. They're both written and directed uh, by people. Uh, it's their first feature length film. Uh, Anvari was born in Iran during the Iran-Iraq War, and he is roughly the same age as the child Dursa in film, hmm. uh, which I thought was super interesting. And so he said he moved away from Iran uh, in, uh, when he was 18. So a lot of the film is uh, based on his own memories and pictures and, and experiences, and even some of the characters are based on people that he knew in Iran growing up. So the way, like the decor, everything of like inside the apartment, the apartment building, the streets, like it all screamed Iran. Like nothing seemed out of place. It was pretty cool. So if our listeners don't know, uh, your father is from Iran. Absolutely. From Tehran, which is where they were. That's where they were supposed to be in the film, even though it was actually filmed elsewhere. But yeah, I've been there a few times. And no, I mean, everything was set up exactly as you, you would see in like a smaller apartment. Um it was really cool actually watching the film since it was in Farsi because there was a lot I understood. It was a it was a fun film. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was uh, it was it's really interesting. We'll post a, a link to an interview with the director uh, in the uh, show notes at don'tsplitup.com. But uh, one thing that is interesting is, was that he took great pains to make sure he could find actors who spoke fluent Farsi and and were not second generation who spoke with accented Farsi. Um, and, and he said that that actually narrowed his pool of available actors pretty substantially. Um, but he thought he he worked really hard to make sure it felt like it was taking place in Iran in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. So I don't. Did you recommend this to your dad, Mo? I did. But my dad does not like horror films, not even in the slightest. <laughs> so I will probably recommend it to him again, because to me, I, I didn't find this movie scary at all. Um, I think there was a metaphor there. I just think I also lost it. And so it, it had a little something else for me. So again, let's start here. Would you recommend this film? I would, yes. Mm. Yeah. I think I'm indifferent. I don't, I, I don't know. Like Mo, it didn't really scare me. Um, but there's really no draw to it either. Yeah, I'm indifferent. I thought it was super interesting, and I totally would recommend it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I found uh, it gave me a window into a world that I felt like I've never really gotten to experience firsthand. Uh, I did not know much about the Iran-Iraq war, and so, again, I kind of felt like I got to experience a little bit of, of what that must have been like on the ground. I was deeply sympathetic with the main character, uh, Shadeh, the mother, with her plight. Uh, you know, you you have no doubt heard uh, how difficult it can be for women in some more fundamentally religious countries. And I felt like that was really on display uh, in this film. And I felt like that really hit home for her. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I thought there were some pretty scary parts to it. I didn't, it didn't stay with me like the Babadook did, but I don't know. It was a great way to pass a couple of hours and uh, definitely gave me some chills. Mm -hmm. That's to me, that's kind of almost what the film was about. Like I felt like they focused so much on her struggle as a woman. Like she was a doctor, but still inferior um, when her and her child run from that building for their life. And it is uh, a war. So it doesn't matter that, you know, they're fleeing from something that's supernatural. 
for all they know, there had been an attack or something. And those cops, their sole fear is that she's not covered properly. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cr- like, okay, so the mom mm-hmm. does the thing that you always wish people at a horror movie would do, which is get your child and get the heck out. And she does that. And she's punished for it. And then, yeah. And then it's like, so you're, it's almost like, what's worse? Like these possibly possible gin or the new fascist government. And is like kind of a toss up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I don't know. I love that scene. Like I, that to me was probably, I mean, I know we're early, but I'll say best <laughs> because yeah. when she's standing in that police station or wherever they take her and she just has that utter look of indifference on her face while they're scolding her and, you know, just giving her the rundown on like, you know how we're not going to punish you but we should like how could you do that blah 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 and she just looks like she could care less it's like that scene in gladiator when uh commodus is like am i not merciful am i not merciful <laughs> like that's that's how i felt watching that scene it's like oh we're doing you a favor and she's like give me a but that's that i mean i feel like that's the iranian people today i mean i can speak firsthand like don't get me wrong and any religion you've got your fundamentalists you've got your people that are over the top that say things that aren't even in the religion just because that's what they believe personally um so there are people who feel like women are less or they should be covered but for the majority when you're in iran and you're in a house no one wears those they all take it off they're all comfortable amongst their friends their family it's the government that oppresses uh the youth like they dial it back every year like they always push the limits to the point where eventually the government kind of lashes out and will like punish them or take even more severe actions um, when women aren't covering the way they should or guys are dressing too like flamboyant so to speak their fees are too deep exactly (laughs) and so it like to me this film was just kind of just showing that they don't care anymore it was like you know look we're, we're so tired of it like how can this be what you're worried about when we have these other problems surrounding us yeah so it's interesting you know we we kind of we kind of debated in the babadook about whether this was a film about mental illness or maybe the extent to which it was and i didn't read uh under the shadow this way at all but when i read that interview with the director uh, uh anbari he treats war as like a social illness. And so I want to read a quote from his interview uh, and you can just hear in it how he frames uh, how he was thinking about the war itself as a disease that is afflicting uh, these people. He says uh, uh, the the interviewer had commented on the, the structure of the building and how good the set was and everything. And, and he was excited. He was like, oh man, I'm so glad you liked it. And he says, I thought it has to be a very unremarkable building at the start. And then once things kick off after the missile hits, it gets wounded and it gets infected and the building gets more and more, you know, dark and more and more like a haunted house. I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That he, that nailed it. You definitely get that through the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this idea that, uh, again, much like in the Babadook, right, where the Babadook is this embodiment of grief, uh, the jinn, which may or may not be real, become a metaphor. They are an embodiment of the the evils that war brings onto a city where people are fleeing, they're living in fear, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And and I, I just thought the and, and, and man, the, the, the strain you see it take on the, the, the family that's presented. Mm-hmm. where the dad's away and he can't communicate and he's scared for his family. They're scared for him. The daughter's kind of acting out, but not really. I mean, certainly not to the extent of, of Sam and the Babadook, right? She's yeah. trying to be a kid and you can't be a kid at a war, right? I mean, you just can't. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's sort of what the film is trying to say. No one acts out like Sam acts out. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting, like the... Um, our main character's pride coming into all of it too. Cause you know, she wanted so badly to live, live her life a certain way and do things a certain way. And she didn't want to have to ask for help. And you could just see the burden. I mean, same as in the Babadook, like that burden of, uh, you know, it's finally pained me enough to actually ask for help and I'm being denied that or I'm being told I'm not a good enough mom or a good enough person. And, you know, and, and obviously we start out in that in that journey when she's denied being able to go back to school. Um, 
Well, and anyway, I think that kind of goes back to my point earlier is she didn't do anything poorly. Like she didn't do anything wrong. Like she was independent. She was obviously intelligent. She was a good mom. I mean, I don't think she did anything poor. Like she left when she should have left because her child and her were in danger. Right. But at every step she was mm-hmm. told she was doing it wrong or that she was less than. And so it's like, she just broke down and finally was like, all right, I'll accept that. Right. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it was super well done. I, I did think there were a couple of pretty creepy parts that were just sort of mm-hmm. chilling, uh, like very visually uh, well done. <laughs> I thought that the, um, even just the, the different mind games and trying to figure out what was actually going on. Like when her, uh, exercise tape goes missing and then she finds it in the trash and just the, you know, pitting, um, whether it was gin or not that we're sort of pitting the, the mother and daughter against each other and the landlord and how horrible the landlord was and all of those different kinds of things. I just thought there were, there were a lot of really great, um, interesting elements in that world. I think my favorite part and this, I think, was the only time that I actually was truly scared was when I'm pretty sure they were both in the mom's bed. And she, like, looks up and sees somebody standing there. And then it's gone. And, like, she gets up to go check it out. And, like, this creature or person is, like, crawling up into the ceiling where the bomb hit. Yes. One, waking up and thinking someone's in your home is scary. But then, like, and I give her credit because I would not have followed whatever I thought that was out there. You can mm-hmm. definitely tell throughout the movie, like she's definitely like the independent mom and can do everything for guts. herself. Yeah. Um, but I just think like how he had said, like once the bomb hits, like that's the infection and you could definitely pick that up, especially in nasty. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, it was definitely when, it, when the bomb threat or the sirens were going off and they went down in the basement and you didn't know if she had left her daughter behind or if her daughter was with her. And it was like that whole mind game thing. And I'm pretty sure JR and I were like, "Uh oh, that's not her. That's definitely not her. So then she goes up there to rescue her daughter. And then that's not her daughter. And it's this scary, weird, faceless thing or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, snap, don't do it. That's terrible. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, that was my favorite part. I thought it was well done. It, it tricked you, you know, really well, mm-hmm. like it was supposed to. I think my favorite bit was the thing with the book, mm-hmm. like where the book ends up missing. And because they were, they, they were the little bit of gen lore that they give you is that they have to take something of yours. Yeah. And so I just thought it was, it was really good, like swapping the doll for the book. And, you know, they kind of leave with that. And it's like, Ooh. well, it was so stressful because she kept looking for that dang doll. And you yeah. were like, oh, it's gone. Like, mm-hmm. don't even try no, and look for it. Mm mm. Yeah. And uh, so I, I would say then my worst is, and this is a nit, much like with the Babadook, I just thought this film was great on every level. Um, but the one nit, and this is just me being an ignorant, non-Muslim Westerner, I wish they would have given us more gin lore. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, are you saying you want some backstory, JR? Huh? Is that what I'm hearing? Huh? Need a little, need a little note? Need a little, little something about the past? Sounds like backstory. Sounds like backstory to me. Backstory on the gym. <laughs> that makes you feel better. It makes me feel a lot better. Stacy, does it make you feel better? Definitely. Great. Um, I just felt like, again, because I was very much a cultural outsider to this film, I felt like there were probably some things that I missed because I didn't know as much lore as probably the culture for whom this film was made. I was waiting for the conversation between her and the other lady in the building or something to bring that out. And I guess I'll agree with you, JR. I had nothing bad to say about this film. So obviously I wanted some backstory. I know a little <laughs> bit more about Jim, but even I, like, I, I would have liked to see that. I will say I will take the film that we got over one where she's like, oh, I Let's knew a Google professor it. when I was in medical school. <laughs> I'll go talk to him. And then he's what? like in a, behind this dusty tome. And he's like, it's a gin. Uh, here is all of the pertinent information that will pay off later in the film. So like, yeah, I would, I would, I will happily take the film that we have over clunky exposition. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you film for being what you are instead of going for the cliches. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't really have a worst. I thought it was, I thought it was great. 
wouldn't change it. It it definitely um it because of the subtitles, it engaged different parts of my brain. So normally I'm as you all know, I'm a big chicken and like the visual aspects of it stick with me, but there were so many times where I was reading and then having to look back up and not really getting to um Particip- like participate in all of it the same way I would if it if it was in English or Spanish and I was like like had weird way weirder way more elaborate dreams because I was also like engaging the part of my brain that needed to read it was it was really interesting so yeah did you guys have any issues reading the subtitles or was that anything that um, was an issue I personally don't mind subtitles. I feel like, like you said, like you have to like engage it differently. And I feel like it makes you pay attention more to the detail. Mm-hmm. But I know some people who absolutely hate having to read subtitles or they think they're distracting. But I think for the most part, they add to the movie. Mm. So what was y'all's worst? Did you share? Well, Mo, um, I guess you did. You said you didn't have a big deal or you wanted backstory, but... Yeah, what about you, Stace? Piggyback, JR. I don't, I don't have a worst either. All right. Uh, well, we are about out of time this week. Our next episode is going to be on the first and, if there is a God, final installments of the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, Resident Evil 7 is in theaters as of the time that this is, you're listening to this, uh, unless you're listening to it next week. When, which time it'll probably already be out of the theaters. Oh, uh, bird. Yeah, because they'll be getting ready for the epilogue, the <laughs> final, final, final. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, we're going to review the first and the final chapter, Resident Evil, the final chapter. So if you haven't had a chance to watch those films yet, Mo and Stacy are super excited. Super excited. Uh, Mo, is, marathon. is this your most anticipated film of the year? No. Shockingly, no. I am shocked. Yeah. What, what, this what, year is a nerd-filled wonderlust, and I cannot wait for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yes. Same. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. But you're still very excited for Resident Evil 7. Oh, absolutely. Good. All right. Well, uh, if you get a chance to catch those in the theater, we'll be reviewing those soon. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening, for taking the time to engage us on Facebook at Don't Split Up or facebook.com slash don't split up and on our show notes at don't split up.com uh, where you can see links to all the articles that we discussed. Again, both of these movies are on Netflix. So if you haven't got a chance to see them, please watch them. Let us know what you thought of them. And uh, until we are back with a very Mia Jolovich episode. And whatever. Ruby Rose. Whoop, whoop. Oh, that's right. I forgot she's in the new one. That's right. But mostly Mila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until then, whatever you do, don't split up. Join J.R. Stacy, Amanda, and Mo to discuss blood, guts, horror, and gore. In our podcast, Don't Split Up, where we discuss horror movies and how great or not they are. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. This place is huge. No one take the back porch. Scream if you see anything. That won't be hard. But in observation of this loaded moment, I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring. I will not be right back.